Hey, what's up, guys? You're tuned into K and A. This is Anthony. This is Kiefer. And uh, we're here to talk shit here on Anchor.fm. Um, be sure to uh, like, uh, follow, subscribe, however it works on this uh, app here or whatever uh, podcast uh, service you are streaming this or downloading this from. Um, my name's Anthony. I've been known by a few different names. Uh, I'm a, a b-boy or a break dancer. Retired. I'm a uh, pseudo actor. <laughs> the, uh, the artist formerly known as Lama Rock. Yeah, I guess you could, yeah, people can start calling me that if they want to. Or, or Nine, which is semicolon Nine, is sort of my new artist name. You're going full Prince. Bro, straight up, man. Changing it to a symbol. Well, that's exactly it, man. Like, uh... But, um, yeah, what about you, Kiefer? Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, my name's uh, Kiefer. I'm an emerging director in the uh, Melbourne film industry. Um, worked on a few different features with a few different other artists who are, who are up and coming. Most, uh, most importantly, the man who put us together, which is Matthew Victor Pasta. MVP, yeah. shout out to MVP. Shout out to him. You'll be able to find him online. He's got some crazy shit up there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mainly work in the, the horror genre at the moment. Um, got a, a short that's won a few awards and uh, studied at the uh, Victorian College of the Arts, which is a very, very prestigious institution, very competitive to get into. And for some reason, they thought that, you know, I, I could make the grade. And I think I did. But nice. well, time will tell, eh? Um, but yeah, basically. Just chilling out here with uh, my very close collaborator, Mr. Semicolon Nine or Nine Semicolon. <laughs> and yeah, we just want to like talk today about a few different things to do with being an independent artist and um, you know the struggle that it is, the hustle that it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, hopefully give you guys some good advice on um, yeah, yeah, being on the street creative that's exactly it oh you got a message there we got a message from um a good friend jesse in Shout LA. Out to jesse very very uh talented producer who also studied at vca he's back in la now doing all the good stuff he was uh, at the oscars uh back Ooh. in february uh working i think for mtv or somebody nice so yeah he's uh, he's actually living the real the real world sort of film industry stuff oh. he gets to do all the cool stuff guess you have to go to Hollywood to do the real stuff I guess pretty much helps if you live there man helps yeah. if you live there definitely would help if you live there I guess uh, as a quick reminder guys we are broadcasting from the 3038 uh, Melbourne City Victoria Australia a few kangaroos jumping outside and koalas on the trees nah <laughs> but stay tuned while we talk more about being an independent artist So I mean, like the really good thing about about us is that we've got very two unique uh, ways of coming to this creative field. Mm. So obviously, you know, you've you've kind of come off from the streets type way. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, we both have. Yeah. Because like you know, uh, even though I've got like this massive fucking years and years of formal education, mm. like you know, it's still it still come from a really raw place. We both come from the kind of like suburbs of poverty. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I guess, like, what, for you, like, what, what's been your journey so far? Like, how did you get into being, how did you find out you wanted to, you know, go into being a dancer? And then, you know, where, how did all this other stuff come from, like DJing and yeah, all that jazz, man? Did that just fall in naturally? Or? Yeah, yeah, all of those things sort of just, it, it just made sense to get into different um, facets of the art. So I guess, yeah, you could say that I'm predominantly a break dancer or a b-boy. But all of those stem from another art, which is the culture that comes from the culture of hip hop. Um, I guess the way that I got into it was it, it just popped up in the bulletin. But funnily enough, and as weird as these uh, episodes are going to get, um, let me go on a tangent for a second. But in the year that I got into breaking, which was 98, the whole year prior, So from 97 to 98, there were a lot of signs. (laughs) 
<laughs> so to speak. And I think as a, as a as a creative, you can you can um, appreciate yeah, definitely. this. But um, I used to see like break dancing, b boying as it's kind of technically called now. We've seen these b boying videos and clips on TV. So one of the first things I saw when I was in year eight um, was that it's like that versus Jason, uh, uh, which was Run DMC versus Jason Nevins remix. Oh, yeah. And in the clip, they had a whole heap of B-boys and B-girls, which at the time I had no idea who they were. So what year was that? 97. 97. Yeah. I was seven years old then. Oh, shit. <laughs> Damn, bro. That's crazy. I feel even older now. <laughs> but check this out. So we're, we're watching that on TV. It's like, man, that's cool. I want to get into that. Because as a kid... Through my my dad, we were already been watching heaps of like kung fu films, uh, yeah, martial yeah. arts films, your Hong Kong classics. Yeah, you know Jackie Chan like Project A, yeah. uh, Mr. Canton, Lady Rose, uh, or is it Mrs. Canton, Miss Canton, Lady Rose? Whatever it is, it's like a mafia, uh, a, a Hong Kong mafia flick. Yeah, yeah. And this is the one we were talking about. Could be Canton Godfather. Yeah, well. that's the yeah, other yeah, name yeah. for it, Canton Godfather. And so SBS was one of my favorite channels, plus anime, plus all that, right? Then here, all of a sudden, here was this thing. I felt like oh, I could do that, you know, and that's cool. And then you know, recovery was a part of my my Saturday staple, you know, watching Rage straight into recovery. And then they had groups that had b-boys in it and then eventually it popped up in my school bulletin that um learn breakdancing at ymca mcleod wow so from all the way here in the west i would catch a train all the way up to the north and on the first day i took this lesson some fucking goose tried to start me at mcleod <laughs> station and i thought i thought i had to fight this dude because like he kind of like spooked me out at the gates yeah and i stood back and had my fists up and he just went what and then walked off <laughs> he walked around me i was like damn i could have just walked around this dude anyway from the beginning yeah. you know well, it was weird i, I don't really call it racist but it was just like this weird like bullying so it, was, was he making that that sound as like a kung fu sound yeah like, yeah like some some bogan guy yeah like, <laughs> just some weird guy you know he's probably he'd probably be my best friend now but like <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Before this uh, segment ends, um, yeah, so that 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 started me off on that, and eventually I was learning quite a few moves, and I was pretty capable of doing certain things. And I remember I was so obsessed, as you are when you're a kid, into anything. That one guy goes, "Oh, oh break dance this, break dance that." One of these guys in my class was giving me shit. He goes, "Oh, you think you can make money from this?" And for some reason, that irked me enough to be like, "All right, can't." <laughs> I'll prove it to you that I can. And, and that's really been the journey for the past 20 years. Nice. All right. Um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your humble beginnings, Kifa. Yeah, sure. They are, they are pretty humble. Um, I suppose... That's Jesse again. Mm. Uh, I suppose... Um, yeah, man. The creative field's always kind of hung around me from a young age. I was kind of like... Always really into film, mm. uh, obviously as an audience member, mm. as a as a viewer. Um, but yeah, even in, in primary school, man, I was always writing. Always had really strong creative writing skills, mm. um, but never really applied myself. Like yeah. I was kind of in a lot of different. Um, obviously, I was going through the trauma of schooling. But, <laughs> you know, had a, had a lot of different um, like goals like you know like when I was a kid I wanted to be a scientist or I wanted to be an astronaut or you know all these different you know things that uh, always seemed really adventurous and cool yeah and yeah I kind of periodically went on and off writing um, for a number of years and mm. probably like when I was when I was 13 or 14 I bought a bass and started playing bass guitar you know in a little garage band with my mates nice and that was kind of like my first serious foray into like doing something creative mm. uh, and I did that played that for a number of years but um, again didn't really apply myself enough and didn't really learn learn enough formal training mm. but I could get by I was good at improv mm. you know, I did a lot of um, you know improv rock and jazz and different stuff like that but yeah but by, by the time I was about 16 I sort of decided that I was gonna go into science right in school um, I was told you know you're a smart kid and smart kids do this. So, 
yeah, I was all set by year 12, man, to pretty much do chemistry, physics, mass methods, and like going to, um, you know, some some kind of scientific field in uni. Yeah, right. And it was only like at the start of year 12 that I decided, no, nah, no, nah, hang on. I really want to give media studies a shot. You know, I really want to see if I actually do have the creative talent to uh, go into film. Mm. And I kind of like very quickly lost my passion for the science fields and started um, devoting a lot more time into learning film. And yeah, that, that year 12 subject was really what put me on that pathway from there. And um, yeah, originally I kind of uh, was going to go to study that, study uh, a course called screen and, screen and Television, I think, at RMIT. Mm. It's a TAFE course. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of fucked myself up in a way because I was really counting on getting that TAFE course because I was kind of like, oh yeah, it's a TAFE course, I'll be able to get into that, mm. no problems. And I uh, stopped studying for my uh, exams really for like physics and chemistry and stuff because I was like, I don't need an enter score, I'll be fine. And yeah, I didn't get into that course. Fuck. So like, I ended up with a pretty average enter. Like, I still, I still got into the sixties, mm. but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't indicative of like my actual intelligence or like my work ethic or any of that stuff. It was just at that last moment, I kind of like decided, oh, you know, I'm not gonna bother, you know, racking my brains out studying for things that, you know, you know I'm not gonna use. Yeah. And uh, by the by the kind of like, by the grace of God, I guess, or like some sort of. Uh, <laughs> You know, miracle, miracle. I got in. I got a. Um, I got into a bachelor of arts at La Trobe. Oh. Uh, even though my enter, my English score wasn't really good enough for it. Um, and yeah, I did media studies and cinema studies there, and really honed honed in on on my skill set. And sort of like from then on, I was really devoted to becoming a filmmaker. But at that same time, I was still doing. I was still playing bass in a band. I was still playing bass. Uh, at the church. Oh, the po a polymath. Yeah, and um, I was doing graphic design and a few different things. I was playing around with a whole different area, bunch of areas, but um, yeah, that film kind of like really came up in year 12, and it really was, a, for me, it was a, a good synthesis of the stuff I was doing musically, yep. because film is so much of its audio, yep. and also uh, in terms of creative writing, because I write my own like screenplays as well. Right. So I was able to write and also have a focus on music and uh, have a focus on cinematography, photography. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's 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 really kind of like what pushed me into that field in particular. Mm. Nice, nice one. Well, hey, while you spark up that Dari, we'll uh, have a short interlude, and we'll uh, continue on with your story. I wish my story was that long. Fucking hell. <laughs> All right, um, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your humble beginnings, Kiefer. Yeah, sure. They are, they are pretty humble. Um, I suppose, that's Jesse again. Mm. Uh, I suppose, um, yeah, man, the creative field's always kind of hung around me from a young age. I was kind of like always really into film, mm. uh, obviously as an audience member, mm. as, a, as a viewer. Um, but yeah, even in, in primary school, man, I was always writing, always had really strong creative writing skills, mm. um, but never really applied myself. Yeah. Like I was kind of in a lot of different, um, obviously I was going through the trauma of schooling, but, <laughs> you know, had a, had a lot of different um, like goals, like, you know, like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a scientist or I wanted to be an astronaut or, you know, all these different, you know, things that uh, always seemed really adventurous and cool. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of periodically went on and off writing um, for a number of years, and mm. probably like when I was when I was thirteen or fourteen, I bought a bass and started playing bass guitar, you know, in a little garage band with my mates. Nice. And that was kind of like my first serious foray into like doing something creative. Mm. Uh, and I did that, played that for a number of years, but um, again, didn't really apply myself enough and didn't really learn learn enough formal training, mm. but I could get by. I was good at improv. Mm. You know, I did a lot of, um, you know, improv rock and jazz and different stuff like that. But yeah, by, by the time I was about 16, I sort of decided that I was going to go into science. Right. In school. Um, I was told, you know, you're a smart kid and smart kids do this. So yeah, I was all set by year 12, man, to pretty much 
do chemistry, physics, mass methods, and like going to um, you know some court, some kind of scientific field in uni. Yeah, right. And it was only like at the start of year twelve that I decided, no, nah, no, nah, hang on, I really want to give media studies a shot. You know, I really want to see if I actually do have the creative talent to uh, go into film. Mm. And I kind of like very quickly lost my passion for the science fields and started um, devoting a lot more time into learning film. And yeah, that, that year 12 subject was really what put me on that pathway from there. And um, yeah, originally I kind of uh, was going to go to study that, study uh, this course called screen and, screen and Television, I think, at RMIT. Mm. It's a TAFE course. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of fucked myself up in a way because I was really counting on getting that TAFE course because I was kind of like, oh yeah, it's a TAFE course, I'll be able to get into that, mm. no problems. And I uh, stopped studying for my uh, exams really for like physics and chemistry and stuff because it's like, I don't need an enter score, I'll be fine. And yeah, I didn't get into that course. Fuck. So like, I ended up with a pretty average enter. Like, I still, I still got into the 60s, mm. but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't indicative of like my actual intelligence or like my work ethic or any of that stuff. It was just that that last moment, I kind of like decided, oh yeah, no, I'm not gonna bother, you know, racking my brains out studying for things that you know, you know I'm not gonna use. Yeah. And uh, by the by the kind of like by the grace of God, I guess, or like some sort of. Uh, <laughs> You know, miracle, like, miracle. I got in. I got a. Um, I got into a bachelor of arts at Latrobe. Oh. Uh, even though my enter, my English score wasn't really good enough for it. Um, and yeah, I did media studies and cinema studies there, and really honed honed in on on my skill set. And sort of like from then on, I was really devoted to becoming a filmmaker. But at that same time, I was still doing. I was still playing bass in a band. I was still playing bass. Uh, at the church. Oh, the po time. a polymath. Yeah, and um, I was doing graphic design and a few different things. So I was playing around with a whole different area, bunch of areas, but um, yeah, that film kind of like really came up in year 12, and it really was, a, for me, it was a, a good synthesis of the stuff I was doing musically, yep. because film is so much of its audio, yep. and also uh, in terms of creative writing, because I write my own like screenplays as well, right. so I was able to write and also have a focus on music and uh, have a focus on cinematography, photography. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's 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 really kind of like what pushed me into that field in particular. Mm. Nice, nice one. Well, hey, while you spark up that Dari, we'll uh, have a short interlude, and we'll uh, continue on with your story. I wish my story was that long. Fucking hell. <laughs> And to be continued, the humble beginnings of Kiefer. <laughs> Sorry, it's getting, your, your, your new phone keeps on bugging yeah, out. I know, on I, don't, me, I don't know why it keeps probably got one of those 3D touches where if you press it hard enough, it'll fuck off the yeah. screen. <laughs> the app, I mean, you know. But anyway, so you uh, fucked up because you didn't have the. Uh... the oh, right. no, you were in a bachelor. Yeah, yeah, no, I did, I did, I did fuck up. That was uh, the main part of that, yeah. And um, it was only between basically begging, begging the institute. You know, it was funny, man, because like I remember in uh, in year eleven, yeah. saying to people, as long as I don't end up at Latrobe doing a Bachelor of Arts, I'll be happy. <laughs> and that's what I ended up doing. <laughs> wow! So you were already sort of preempting it. Yeah, it was weird. It was kind of like this. Um, I guess like it's those things in life where you know you, you you put these boundaries on like what you think is success. Yep. And where you want to be and what you want to do. Yes. And um, yeah, I got really humbled, I mm. guess, by the fact that I was lucky to get into a Bachelor of Arts at the Trove, you know? Mm. And um, it was a real learning experience in, in that regard. Like, I mean, when you're, when you're 18, you know, it's a lot of pressure mm. to work out what you want to do and what you want to be. And it's a big commitment, like yeah. university. Like, people these days, it's just kind of like expected you go to uni. But, um, it's a really hard, hard thing to do. Yeah, nice. And um, yeah, yeah, ended up doing, ended up doing that. And uh, it kind of, it kind of like, in some ways, told me that I had to apply myself more, which is a lesson I'm still learning in life. Same you know? here, brother. Same here. Because you know, in, in these fields, it's uh, it's hard to get going. It's hard to to get going and stay in it and be disciplined. Mm. And that's. Um, 
you know, not a skill set you're really taught. No. You know, they try to teach you at school, but it's a uh, it's a hard one to learn. And I think you're, all your life you're learning that. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. And um, especially these days, with the, when there's so many choices and options available to you, mm. it's it's hard to go like this is my one shot. I'm gonna work hard at this. Mm. You know, whereas like 50 years ago or so, you know, you only had that one that one shot. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't just like I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna go do that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so. Luckily, you know, I ended up ended up in a place that, that did teach me a lot. Yeah. Um, I got to make two films mm. at, at La Trobe, mm. which was um, which was good. A little disappointing in the sense that, like, you know, it, it wasn't as practical, which is why I ended up ended up doing a master's degree as well because I wanted more practical training in directing. Oh. Uh, there's a lot of theory. Like, so there's some very very. There was some. I mean, this was in 2009. Yeah. Right. So there was. Um, a lot of really good teachers there who, who knew film theory, mm. but there was only one class where you could make a film. Oh. And um, and it, that was competitive as well. Right. So out of the 30 kids in that class, only five people were able to direct. Right. And luckily, the script I wrote was um, picked. Mm. So uh, I got to make this really bad film. <laughs> uh, so sure it's not that bad? No, nah, it's pretty bad, man. Oh. It's, um, it's one of the things, you're just starting out, you don't really know. What you're doing, you're kind of like fumbling your way through it. You're learning how to direct. You're learning how to uh, manage different people, mm. and um, you know it's like any kind of group assignment. Really, you're always going to get somebody who's not working hard enough, or isn't really interested, or mm. is only just doing the class to make up credit points and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was another learning experience. And ah. um, luckily, there was a program at La Trobe that uh, they did like a miniature film festival Ooh. of student films, uh, and I got that was another competitive thing. Yeah. And I got into that as well, and got to uh, got to make another film there. Um, and yeah, both those films, I got better. Like the second film I made was better. It wasn't perfect, um, but it definitely showed me that I could do it. I could get better. Mm. You know, I could improve my skill sets, and I mm. could you know improve my talent, or not tap into my talent more. Uh, and then yeah, the that was kind of like my first and second year, and then third year I went to the states. And I uh, got to study in uh, at the University of California, and that that really blew my mind away because here in Australia the film industry is like very small uh, in comparison, and it's not treated like a real career path. But over there, it, it is. You know, in LA, like it's a it is a career path. You can get a job in this, and if you're studying that, you are expecting to go and get a job uh. in this field. And that showed me there was hope, which was incredibly important as well. Man, you've got these dogs that are like on heat and they're both humping and they're both girls. Come on, get inside you gay dogs. Get inside. Got my work experience student here, like trying to... Willow, get inside. You guys can have sex inside. Come on. Oh, sorry, Quan. Say hi, Quan, to the podcast. So. <laughs> Quan's working on his uh, footwork. He's doing a, a lesson design. It's a new thing I made up. <laughs> it's a new thing I made up for work experience. Yeah, he doesn't want you to let you know that he's just winging it. Yeah, it's pretty much. No, no. What are you talking about? I'm not winging it. I'm winging it with style. <laughs> it's quite, man. It's quite surreal, really. Like we're sitting here recording this. There's dogs humping in the corner. There's guys doing break dancing, man. It's like some sort of David Lynch, like but, but through like the ghetto, man. Well, you know how it is, bro. You know how we do. You just. You know, we don't have the formal setting of a of a studio or an institution, so we just... That's the humble beginnings, isn't it? No, that's exactly... The humble it. continuation. Yes, humble continuation. That's why it's semicolon nine. <laughs> have you heard of the semicolon movement? No, no. So the semicolon movement was started in 2015, I believe, by an 18-year-old who wanted to commemorate his dad's death. Unfortunately, his father had committed... Um, her father committed suicide. And she wanted to like make a point about it. So sooner or later, there were people tattooing semicolon oh, on okay. their on their bodies. Now, what does a semicolon mean? It's when an author decides to stop. When an author de- sorry, when an author decides to stop, but decides to continue oh, okay, yeah. talking. Yeah. So semicolon. The nine has got to do with sort of my uh, my uh, early foray into numerology, mm. and my life number is nine. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot about this stuff in later 
yes. later days. Yes, yes, we'll update our, our listeners. For the zero yeah. listeners out there listening, <laughs> thank you so much for listening in. Well, whoever, whoever hears it will be the first. Well, that's exactly so, right. Yeah. yeah, so for the first listener, thank you. But you, it was interesting you were saying how you went to Cali. Um, and, you know, this was like, it gave you hope, like, that this was the legit shit. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, because, like, before that, it was all kind of like doom and gloom, I guess. Mm. Or not, not necessarily doom and gloom, but that it was going to be very hard. That you were going to have to fight for it. You were going to have to compete. These dogs, man. Doing <laughs> 69ers in front of us. <laughs> Sorry, keep it going. Yeah. Nah, yeah. And, um,. Yeah, it was just good to go. So it was encouraging to go somewhere and actually see people who were who were working in the industry, mm. you know, who were actually succeeding, and that success wasn't as far away as uh, it is down under. There you go, right? Which I mean, that, and really, that's what set me on a very international pathway with my filmmaking. Mm. So I mean, we'll get to a bit to it later, but uh, at the moment, as an artist, I'm definitely focused on the global community. Word. And uh, increasing the the amount of. Um, international work uh, between Australia and uh, other nations that are nearby. Yo, that's the style, man, because the world is such a small place since, you know, internet and social media. More and more people can, you know, like, inform themselves while, while my dogs do a 69er. <laughs> Fucking hell, look at that. Bang, bang, smash it, smash it. Yeah, yeah, i got to record this. Oh, no, nah, it's, uh, it's done. But anyway, um... I guess before <laughs> before our five minute time limit ends, I just I wanted to bring that up in, in regards to sort of my humble beginnings because in two thousand six would have been eight years of breaking by that by that stage. Yeah, eight years. I went to Cali myself. Yeah. It'd be the second time I'd visited and I went to this very prestigious event called the uh, B Boy Summit. It was where all of the different communities, you know, came together and and, and it was like a little festival. And I said to myself, man, I could drop everything that I've got going in Melbourne. Girlfriend, crew, maybe not crew. <laughs> and just move to the States, you know, like three months at a time, whatever. But then I thought to myself, but what good would that do if no one is bringing this that I'm witnessing and experiencing back to Australia? And so that set me off on the path for the next four years to try and bring that back to Melbourne. So I'd made that sacrifice for my own personal career, you know, or let's say I, 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 I augmented my career for it to be enjoyed within the shores of Australia. So now that we've got the dogs out of here, yes, we can we can like actually get to business. Mm. Talking about this sacrifice you made, or this you know, uh, what would you call it? Uh, not necessarily sacrifice, but wanting to bring the the stuff you saw overseas back into Australia. Yes, well, that's exactly it, man. I mean, because it's like maybe similarly to yours, I wouldn't say that was filmmaking invented in the United States. Uh, well, technically, it was invented in Europe. In Europe? Yeah, the, the, originally the film industry started in France. In yeah. France, yeah. there we go. So if we were that hardcore, or you were that hardcore, you would go and try and explore film in France yeah. based on that knowledge, yeah? For us, or for me, we knew that breaking and hip-hop came from New York, mm. right? But by that stage, I hadn't been to New York yet. The most immediate thing and where it was popping off during the mid 2000s was in LA. So I went there and I saw that and I just thought, well, far, you know, like in Melbourne, we were already doing something similar to what we'd learnt and what we'd studied about breaking and hip hop in New York. We used to be frequent uh, punters at Laundry on a Monday, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that was just after it had changed from Barcelona Bar because Johnson Street was the Latin quarters of Victoria back mm. in the day. There was a lot more hippie there, there wasn't much gentrification happening yet, you know, and then Wednesdays would be at first floor, you know, and we would go there just to listen to the music. We didn't necessarily drink, we didn't, I didn't smoke back then, you know, um, and we would just represent by being punters, dancing to the music that the DJ played. And that's how we developed our style, that's how we developed our, our, our respect within that community. You know, because back in those days, it was just 
like hip hop heads that would go to a hip hop night and then your average punters that might have just stumbled it upon it, you know. But fast forward to 2017, that scene is pretty much non-existent. Yeah. Yet we have more dancers, we have more people into hip hop, but because of the way things are being the way knowledge is shared today, information somehow that sort of live culture, that underground culture doesn't exist. Yeah, that like, communal aspect is sort of like dissipated. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm quite envious of let's say um, musicians as an example. Uh, musicians will get up on stage, all right? And let's say it's like a sort of like a jam. You know, so open mic is probably a better example, yeah? Mm. Have an open mic. It's etiquette for you to get up on the mic and sing however many bars of 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 music, yeah? Mm. Any more or too much, you'll be in a mic hog, mm. yeah? And then you kind of kill the vibe as opposed to uplift it. You know, and as soon as that person finishes, the next person's meant to go on and you're meant to lay your things on. Unfortunately, dancers don't know how to do that. Or they're trying to do that, but they don't understand the etiquette of just doing enough. Yeah. So as a, as a, as a 30-year-old who's been doing this for 20, 20 years or so, it's sort of like, where can I go with this? You know, I've already proven to myself in this 20 years, like the, uh, my, my level of competency in terms of professionalism. You know, like I deserve $100 per hour and that's what mm -hmm. some of the best studios pay me, you know. Um, when I do workshops, I can charge up to a grand depending on how many students are going. And that could only be an hour and a half workshop, but I tend to go to three hours because I know what I know what my money's worth is, mm -hmm. you know, and I think about the students as well. Yeah. And the studio. It's like trying to build a good rapport. But for some reason these days, it's still not enough. You know, so I'm in this sort of lim I'm in limbo right now. That's why I've retired the name because I feel like I need to take a step back. I feel like I need to focus on something else for the time being, because perhaps what I have on offer, and I sound a bit cocky for saying this, but what I have on offer is not yet um, able to be received, mm. you know, and used practically because. It's reverted back to square one. Yeah. And yeah, so that's where it's sort of like, I wish I could say, yeah, man, I fucking got, I'm a multimillionaire now. <laughs> I run my own like institution of breakdance and things yeah, like yeah. that. But I think it's a little yet too soon for that. Yeah. So, I mean, what you just talked about is really interesting in terms of, um, I suppose, like, it's almost like the fertility of the ground, you know, like, that in, the, in these movements of uh, creative endeavors, you need a certain type of uh, soil, you know, you need a certain type of yep. uh, ability for people to grow into new and different ways of thinking about the art. Yes. And something you touched on made me kind of think about uh, ego as mm. an artist, like mm. that idea of, you know, people not knowing, dancers not knowing when to leave the mic. Mm. So I think, do you think it's an issue of ego that these the, the people are dancing or going up there and they're just trying to take as much as they can for themselves? Or is it a, a more of a like a systematic thing like that that's just what they're used to? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Hey, cause that the key word is ego. And let me sort of add to that, egocentric. Mm. So it seems like society now, because of like the, you know, the stronghold that social media has and the social habits we've created mm. which are now becoming cultural habits are very egocentric yeah. selfie this selfie that like this like that fake it to make it as opposed mm. to don't fake the funk you know <laughs> keep it fake as opposed to keep it real yeah so as a result I think just the natural global culture has destroyed these humble beginnings yeah so that, that community suffered mm. you know that, that the idea of like getting together going out on a weekend you know having it's kind of like almost like when you used to go to school as a kid and you're like you know over the weekend you'd have some ready for monday like you want to go share stuff with people what you did on the weekend or whatever now you just do it on facebook yeah you just post like shit that happens yeah whereas in the day you used to have to wait yeah wait for your chance to come and show and there's a real communal aspect to that sharing mm. which 
now that we share everything online, you know, including our art, mm. because most people now, you know, you won't you won't see an early cut of someone's you know work. For example, in the film industry, it'll all be posted online, or someone will message it to you, or mm. whatever. It's it's not necessarily normal these days to kind of like have that have that um, trusted sharing with people. It's all now put it out, get it out there, and I suppose that's very similar in the uh, the b-boy community. Mm, yes. In the sense of like, if you've got a cool dance, you're probably just going to record at home. Put it online. Yep, like we're doing now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But in the sense of like, you know, okay, I've, I've learned these moves. I want to show them off. I'm going to chuck them up on Twitter. Mm. You know, rather than take them to the club, take them to the night, and that exactly. really limits the ability to create a, a hot pot yes. of sharing and development. And yes, the thing is, like, I find that if you look back on all the great sort of movements of art and history, it's always through a wave. Of, of collaborators mm. and of collectives of people who are who are building upon each other's talents, mm. and I, I wonder if the, you know this this individual individualistic mm. society that we have uh, is going to start to hamper you know the ability for new art to come out. Well, I think I think it already has. Yeah, I think it already has. You know, and and I think our, our perception of what good art is is already main is already quite influenced by what we see on social media. However, there is some hope, right? Similarly to when we both went to Cali in separate times, mm -hmm. yeah? Is that there's actually a movement, you know? There's actually a movement of youths that are anti-internet, mm. that are, that are anti-sharing. They're not as emotionally invested as, let's say, the older folks in putting things out online. And if they do use it, they use it as a tool right between each other yeah so i'll snapchat you but i won't put anything up on my story mm. so to speak but then there's also an increase in people buying vinyl mm. yeah or people buying books some kind of tangible good because it's like a legit thing it's no longer virtual mm. so while the virtual world is growing expansively and you could go further down the rabbit hole in that the other side is people are like, yeah, yeah, but like, there's some shit in the real world with some real people, you know, and they all probably still communicate via social media anyway, mm. you know, because it's free. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and taking things to another level, another level that way. So yeah, there's quite a bit of hope, man. Um, I just think for us, we're in that in between. Yeah. You know, we're in that bet in between, between movements. movements, and it's like when we think like the old school way that we still need to be, well, we should be settling down. So I guess what I was saying is like, you know, uh, when you've been in an industry long enough, and just I, gu I guess you know maybe it's it's an Australian way of thinking like we should sort of be settling down, we don't have time to be going out and doing these networking things and we should just be sort of sort of getting even more hardcore into our work or doing a lot less. It's like, nah, the hustle gets harder and harder. Yeah, yeah. So at 33, I'm here trying to rediscover my own city because everything's changed. Mm. There's so many new people coming up, not only younger generations or new, you know newcomers to, to the scene within Melbourne, but we've all we've got an influx of internationals and interstaters, mm, mm. and so that changes the whole game. So in fact, everything started at zero again, yeah. and it's a whole brand new scene that we need to interact with. Yeah, it must be frustrating. Like, so also like that that does happen in the film industry to a degree, but because you know your the community of live performance in particular. It's always, it's always, it's always changing. I suppose music is very similar in that regard as well. You know, mm -hmm. scenes are constantly changing, new ideas are coming in, um, and what people expect changes as well. So, what might have been, you know, adequate or impressive ten years ago, now is old hat. You know, and you can't keep riding the one trick pony type thing. You mm -hmm. always got to be on your guard, changing. And that that hustle mm -hmm. of being out there doing this stuff creates burnout as well. Yes, which. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many bands do it, man. It's why they go on hiatuses. It's why they, you know, take, you know, very long tours and then don't record anything for three or four years because it takes a while after you produce a work, uh, whether that's a, a dance or a film or an album, to then get back and uh, get in touch now with how that has trans 
like your own work has transformed the audience mm. you know mm. because once you put something out uh, you know it's going to have some effect negative mm. or positive mm. now if you put out a groundbreaking work that totally changes everything yes well now you put yourself into fresh new water and yes. if any other artist also puts out groundbreaking work that changes everything you're also you're also a victim to that that new effect yes so that whole thing of constantly trying to keep up with what the audience is expecting and what is adequate is very difficult mm. and I don't think a lot of artists really touch on it because it's a it's much more into the philosophical side yes. of art and the way that uh, we work as both a content producer but also as a member of the audience yes so you know, you take for example like the, the whole wave in film of retro stuff that's come, mm. kind of like in the last maybe, you know, 10 years or so, the mm. big 80s vibe, you know, the, the massive synthwave stuff that's come out in music because of it, like yes. stuff like Stranger Things coming out. Yes. You know, there's this real nostalgia mining market that suddenly just popped up. But at the same time, that is also creating a new nostalgia because in 10 years time, people are going to be remembering Stranger Things, for example, yes. and being like, oh, remember that? Mm. Even though that show's set, you know, 30 years ago, essentially, and mm. taking stuff that's nostalgic to people now yeah. who grew up in that generation is going to then affect the nostalgia of the future. Right. So there's all these, these transformative things that happen to audiences as we produce content. Mm. And keeping up on that is very, very difficult. It and is. I don't think people really understand and I think this is why a lot of artists lose touch as well. Right. Because they think that the talent in them, they don't need to be you know, 100% connected with the scene anymore. They've established themselves. They might have had their one big hit, mm. you know. Um, and then they just keep making the same stuff without getting in touch with what's new. Yes. Or they try and preempt what's new and end up looking foolish. You know, mm. they try to be hip, they try to be cool. Mm. Being on that raw side of creativity and innovation it's it's very very difficult and i think that's why when you see a great artist come out um that is always fresh always creating something new yes. always being before everybody else that person uh becomes a creative genius because they've understood that key uh key element to creating continued success yes in content production yes so not before but ahead be ahead ahead and then recognized for it mm. Which is, I guess, the risk too of being uh, wanting to be original and not wanting to do what everybody else is doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are conventions, and it's good. You know, like in, in hip hop now, conventions are quan. You want to do your rap quickly? Huh? You want to do your rap quickly? We got 15 seconds. Shit, bro. Oh, you're too slow, bro. Nah, you lost. Nah, you fucked up, bro. Nah, it's all good. That's work experience. Yeah, you gotta be <laughs> on the money when it's like, go do it. You gotta do it. But... Follow King Rit on Instagram. I mean, King Rit or Babe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what I was saying before, Quan uh, uh, couldn't drop his rap. <laughs> nah, the thing is, artists aren't fucking dancing bears no. or monkeys that you can command on call. You know, and that's what I think. Still culturally, that's what people don't understand. Yeah, great you arts, know, you know, forged. Forged. Like fire. Yes. Is I was talking about convention, and so in let's say in rap or in, or in hip hop, the convention right now is is the, that whole trap style, mm. you know. And there's some trap pioneers out there that pretty much got known for making that style convention, mm. right? Like Migos, for example, from Atl he's from Atlanta, yeah. Migos is from Atlanta, yeah. He's ATL, yeah. 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 And when you listen to Migos, it's like, you know, and it's just got this whole vibe of what trap is. And so, like, there's a lot of guys my age that hate that shit. They can't stand it, right? For me, I've been listening to, like, the classics for 20 years. Yeah. I'm bored of it. <laughs> the anthems. And anthems never go away, like your own national anthem. You may not like it, but it's fucking, that's the anthem, yeah? So the same with music and hip-hop. And so for me, what challenges me is, alright, well, how do I apply my dance to that kind of music? It doesn't really work, but it can, Yeah. you know? On the other side, I can look at things with fresh eyes. You know, it's uh, what some Zen Buddhists call the beginner's mind. Mm -hmm. 
and I can start again and learn these new dances that these new kids are doing, learn a whole new feel, new appreciation for new stuff, and then I can apply that convention back yep. into my own personal art forms. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. The, that's the transformative thing we're kind of getting at, at the idea of, you know, the, the, these works that other artists put out, mm. need to you need to be in tune with some of them, you know, in some way to be able to then apply that to what you're doing. Mm. Because uh, maybe, maybe that's the loss of community thing now, that you're not exposed to it as readily if you're just online. Mm. But when you're there, and you see it happen, and something blows you away, or you know affects you, you know deeply, as as an artist, mm. which is why it's always important for everyone to like engage with the art that they're in. Mm. Um, that's where the new stuff comes from. Mm. It's it's this almost postmodern and modernistic synthesis oh. of different artistic styles that creates the new. Ah, oh, that is fuck. Can you say that again? Can you repeat the, that the, to our <laughs> listeners? The post postmodernistic synthesis. Postmodernistic synthesis. <laughs> no, for real, no, I feel you on that. Yeah, so like, I mean, I suppose like the challenge mm. as a as an independent artist is uh, is trying to work out how to stay in touch with that community, mm. how to how to be on the forefront, how to constantly be experimenting mm. and creating new things. So you are that step ahead of everyone else. Yes, sir. Which is very, very difficult. It is. And very, very hard. Yes. So I don't, I don't know if a lot of, again, I don't know if a lot of people get that stuff, mm. but I suppose that's why we're talking about it now, enlighten somebody about it. Yeah, no, totally, bro. I mean, cause like, you know, after 20 years doing the same shit, it's kind of, it's kind of like something needs to give, you know, like the abundance is there but don't seem to be able to tap into it or maybe it's a it's a case of a, a, some kind of self-sabotage mm. that prevents me from getting to something because what maybe I'm not humble enough or I'm too humble or you know these are things that you know each individual artist has to go through you know I guess that's why the early years are always so great because you just go in it raw yeah. you smash it out but then again you know the scenes change the, the 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 climate changes so you can't always be just doing the same shit unless you're very fortunate yeah. to be in that kind of circumstance so. well, in, in those formative years you're making the transition from audience member to content creator mm. right so you're making that early transition from being there being in the scene uh feeding on on what's already out there and you're already like thinking about what's what how it's inspiring you and maybe it's a question of inspiration mm. I mean, it's easy, like you said, the older guys who hate trap music, they can just write it off and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to take any of that on board. Transformative. On the topic of transformation. Yeah. So, I lost my place where I was, man. Where were you at? Um... Yeah, so <laughs> oh, that's right. The old, the old, the old guys, the old crew. Yes, like you know, um, I think there's a real. It's almost like a cultural thing that, as time moves forward, we tend to disregard what the youth are doing. Yes, you know? it's strange. It's unusual. Mm. You know, when Skrillex first came out with their stuff, everyone was like, "Man, this is garbage." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and it might have been. Who knows? Objectively, we, you know, it's hard to say, but. You've really got to, you got to have some sort of respect for all artistry, I think, mm -hmm. regardless of how old or young mm -hmm. the person is. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, the reverse happens as well. Mm. There are so many art, young artists out there now who are unwilling to go back and look at the foundations of their of their form, exactly, of their medium, exactly. You know, um, for me, uh, my formative years, like um, I was always into obviously older films, but when I went through my university years, uh, I went back and watched films from the beginning of cinema. Mm. I watched films from the 1940s and mm. 1930s and I still do mm. because there's a hundred years of art to catch up on. Yes. And you know, we can take a take a cue out of the Bible and be like, there's nothing new under the sun. Oh. But oh. at the same time, you know, we can create new emotions and new feelings for a new generation mm -hmm. 
uh, through that synthesis we were talking about. So you can look at Tarantino, right, as a filmmaker, for example. He's taken films that, you know, people <coughs> that are only 20 years old or say, say like, you know, with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. He took elements of those and homaged them in his film and created this, you know, new, this whole new genre, essentially, and a new style that is very unique to him. Mm. Uh, and that's all built out of his passion for the founders of, of the cinema he watched as a, as a kid. Mm, mm, mm. So if you took that away and he only, you know, engaged with the new, then you wouldn't have that. Yes. But he, in the same term, created something new through that pastiche uh, yes. of taking uh, Sonny Shiba films, of taking black exploitation, yes. taking all that and putting it into a new form, mm. which again goes into the new thing of informing another generation of artists. Mm. So you get a whole bunch of people who, you know, they might not know, what these films come from, you know, where these ideas come from or where they originated from, yeah. but they're now in their lexicon. They're in their language base. They've got that vocabulary there now of these elements to go, okay, well, you know, I can make a, a sword fight between, you know, one one V88, you know, cutting off people's limbs with blood splitting out, which is which is 100% from, you know, Asian cinema. Yes. You know, he's taken that from Kung Fu. Yes. And from uh, samurai films and from a whole different bunch of places that previously people wouldn't even know existed. Yes. And that introduces, like I said, to people to his style, but also gives the opportunity for people, say in my generation, to then get access to those films. I remember when Kill Bill came out, mm. a whole bunch of Sony Chipper stuff started coming out. Mm. A whole bunch of old films that inspired that mm. were now available. Mm. You know, films that would have been very hard to get, especially with an English you know, subtitle track, uh, in a in a good quality format, restored. Yeah, you know, the it's important for that to happen. You know, it's important for us to honor the old, but also be embracing the new yes. at the same time. Exactly it's right. like you've got to be on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And it obviously becomes easier the longer you're around. Mm. Because like you would know you've been in the game for a long time. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that you'd know that a lot of young people don't know. Mm. You know, there's a lot of artists you would listen to or mm. seen mm. Uh, when you were younger that probably informed the stuff you were creating then. Yes. And you know, um, I guess like our influences and, and what we take on board to create our content are very important yes. as well as being in touch yes. with the newer stuff so it's it's this willingness to be able to just love and be passionate about the medium you're in mm. to keep moving forward with the new and also honoring the old what's come before so um i want to read out some lyrics from Stetsasonic and their song talking all that jazz um, it goes uh, well here's how it started heard you on the radio talking about rap saying all that crap about how we sample giving examples think we'll let you get away with that you criticize our method of how we make records you said it wasn't art so now we're gonna rip you apart <laughs> right so this is kinda like what you were talking about earlier on about how there's like this resistance from a new generation mm. to really take on you know things from the past mm. right but then at the same time there's another avenue where you can like uh quentin tarantino where you bring the old with the new to create something even more brand new mm. you know but then there's another part of this rap where they say uh where does it say this? Um, think rap is a fad. You must be mad. Because we're so bad. We get respect you never had. Tell the truth. James Brown was old. Till Eric and Ra came out with I Got Soul. Rap brings back old R&B. And if we would not, people could have forgot. Mm. We want to make this perfectly clear. We're talented and strong and have no fear. Of those who choose to judge but lack pizzazz. Talking all that jazz. So I think it's quite, you know, this is a 90s song. Yeah. It's it's, it's exactly what we're talking about. That was, what, 27 years ago? Something like, you know, that's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah man. You know? It's a long time ago, but the same themes prevail today. Well, sampling sampling is the equivalent of what I'm, you know, talking about with, with Quinton. Quinton, yeah. Right? Sampling is the, the exact same sort <coughs> of thing. Like, people could easily go, oh, yeah, I heard, I heard this song back in the 70s. This ain't new. They're just ripping off him. Mm. You know, they're not bringing any talent to it. Mm. And uh, there's almost like that. Again, that's that's the audience enabling 
unable to embrace the new, you know? Yes. And just bring it like, okay, well, you know, you can trace all these things back to a common source. You can always go, oh yeah, someone already did that. Mm. Someone did that in the past. You know, this is just this with this. Yeah. You know, rock and roll is just, you know, R&B, you know, yeah, blues yeah. with this. And it's, um... Well, it's it's like that that biblical quote, you know, by it was King Solomon, right? Allegedly, yeah, allegedly. Right. I don't really know for sure, but well, you know, it's in he, Ecclesiastes. It's yeah. the topic of the book. I was going to say Ezekiel, but yeah, Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and yeah, he he would have travelled the world and seen all this crazy shit mm -hmm. and be like, oh man, this is all it's already been done. Yeah, it's you all know? happened before. It's all, it's all happened happen again. And we can take that sort of perspective of well, fuck, so it's already been done. Well, if we don't we don't need to do shit. But no, really, it's like it's already been done because that's what we do. Yeah. That's what people do. You know what I mean? So at 20 years, oh, it's already been done, you know? Mm. You're just trying to look for something new, but you're probably uh, by nature going to do just a rehash of something old, like a postmodernist synthesis <laughs> of something. But the point is, is that you're trying to express something that probably tackles a part of your own personal uh, human condition. Mm. It's that argument between like the form, like the the actual content of the form versus the emotion mm. that the art is able to get across. So mm. you might be doing something that's a, a synthesis or a rehash or recontextualizing something for a new age, but that in itself, that art of making a transformative piece, uh, should be about the emotion that you're trying to convey. Yes. It should be about the the emotional message that you're trying to give the audience. Mm. You know, so it's it's easy it's easy to just discount sampling and rap and, and as, as they did as they did when I first came out it was this is this is trash it's you know going to fade away it's going to go away it's there's no skill yes there's no artistry involved but the early days of rap you know was the the poetry of the streets you know it connected with something mm. the stuff that was being rapped about connected to an emotional place in the audience that it was intended for mm. now that is way more important to the to people when they engage with it than the actual form. Yes. Right. You can have the best dance routine. You can have the best technically impressive song. You can have the schmickest looking film, but if it doesn't have an emotional core that resonates with the audience, it's not going to last. It's not going to go anywhere. People aren't going to. You got to ask why does somebody want to actually engage with your art? Mm. Why do they want to be there? What are they taking away from it? And if you're not looking at that, if you're not taking that on board when you're forging your your piece, then you're making a fatal error as an artist. So, I guess, now that we've identified this, this concept of, you know, what's transformative, mm. what does that mean for an artist in 2017 and beyond? <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I guess it might be a good um, point to bring up uh, Childish Gambino here. Yeah. Because he was in um, Community. Mm-hmm. And now he has his own series, um, Atlanta. Yep. Which I've not seen. I think he was in the new Spider-Man film. Is he? Oh, is bit, yeah. there? He's in. He's in the new Spider-Man film. So, so here we have a filmmaker slash rapper, right? Who's making all different kinds of music, you know, breaking uh, the limits of the boundaries of whatever genre you think he's in. Mm. And even more importantly, he's cross-platform like that last clip he made in his mansion or something. Yeah. And they were talking about whatever that clip was all about, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that's really impressive about him is his film clips. Like even the, uh, what clip is it? The one where he's in the diner and he's walking, he walks in and out and it kind of re repeats on a time loop. Oh. There's, there's a lot of really interesting stuff he does that, um, Essentially, uh, you know, he, he's, he's making concept albums, you know, he's uh, weaving story into, I mean, this is something that, again, was done before, it was done during the prog rock era, you know, mm. the idea of the concept album, you know, this is what Pink Floyd were doing mm. 40 years ago, it's coming back now, but in a new genre, you know, coming back into, into the hip hop rap scene, and then his ability to then transform and go into whatever genre you'd call his last album, which was, you know, again, taking, like, 70s funk into it and creating a more, like, less rap sound 
but still, you know, developing in in the road that he's going on, and the fact that he's going to end mm. as well. And you know, let me... he's he's set a pathway where he's going to end his music career. All oh, right. Yeah. So his next album will, uh, will be his last album. No shit. Yeah. And he's he's said that uh, he likes endings. He likes things to have a season type thing. You know, this is what he's going to do, but it's not what he's going to do forever. And that approach is incredibly interesting because it's, it ties into what we're talking about because he's making a choice that I'm not going to stay doing the same thing. Yeah, well. I'm going to move on. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to go into a new area. Going from being an actor to a successful musician, that's a big jump. Mm. That's a massive jump. I mean, most, most artists, you know, actors are artists. I'm going to stay in that one trajectory. He's going to, you know, go do another series and then become a film actor and then get lead roles and... No, he decided, no, nah, I'm going to leave this show. I'm going to go and start my music career because that's what I'm passionate about right now. Right. And that's, that's balls, man. That's, yeah, that's, that's very ballsy. Balls. And um, again, embracing that change, embracing the ability to be flexible, yeah. to be malleable and go where the current's going, mm. but doing it with discernment and wisdom to be able to say, this is what I feel now. I'm going to do this and it's going to fulfill me. And I'm not going to do it for anyone else. Mm. I'm going to I'm going to turn this stuff down. And you know him going back and doing Atlanta later, which has been a big success for him. Yeah, you know they've won a lot of awards. Which yeah. how how many how many actors would you know that have gone and done a successful music career, gotten accolades and praise in that field, while also getting accolades and praise in the other field that they've abandoned? Yes. Not many. Not many. So like, if any, he's a very underrated artist in yes. my opinion. You know, and yes. I, I talk, I've talked about him a lot with other people. Uh, because a lot of people just sort of like, oh yeah, that guy from Community's got an album out, and it's like, oh, it's probably shit. And it's <laughs> like, you know, it it might have ta- it might have taken him a while to get to get that rep, but he got it. And as soon as he's coming into, you know, his last his last album was massive, mm. you know, massively praised, mm. uh, and now he's walking away from it again. Sick, you know, which sick. Maybe maybe he's he's afraid of success. You know, <laughs> he could probably put it put it in a cynical category and go, okay, well maybe he's just you know doesn't want to embrace the full success of being you know up there and that's why he's leaving and that's why he left community and all this stuff but i don't think it's that i think it's pure artisanship you know he wants to go out and do new stuff in a new field Mm. and keep moving it's uh it's very david bowie-esque you know he's moving from from one field to another and uh i really appreciate and respect that Mm. and i hope that more people start to do that Mm. you know Mm. this uh conglomerate of artistry that we can form because these days there's no reason why you can't do well, multiple things that's exactly it, it's that's... like it's like yourself going into acting well there we go there we go hey you know I've never really thought about it that way but I guess it's it's like the, the whole point of bringing Childish Gambino up is that the platforms change there's so much you can do now and now some parting words from Kay and A. Yeah, well, it's been a real experiment, this one, hasn't it? It has. It's man. been good. It's been good fun. We didn't even notice how long we've been talking for. Mm. You know, these little five-minute bursts, they go by really quick. Very quickly. Um, but yeah, I guess like uh, being a casual podcast or radio show or whatever we want to mm. deem this as, mm. uh, there's not a lot of focus at the moment, but um, there's well, a but lot of passion. Be, but we're we'll pretty focused. We're pretty focused. Yeah, we've yeah, gone all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess this for us has just been an experiment to try and get our thoughts about the industries out that we're in mm. and the similarities and differences and the struggles mm. that young artists and emerging artists and even established artists mm. uh, go through. Um, I feel like today we highlighted a lot of very important factors that people may not consider that we might delve into a lot deeper mm. in the future, mm. uh, especially about the uh, nature of transformative art mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been really good to talk about this stuff and to get it out there. And I hope that you know anyone who's listening to this who is an artist is able to take something from it and maybe apply some practices mm-hmm. uh, to their creation because it's important. It's important because we need it I agree. as artists to feed off and mm-hmm. contribute back to. That's exactly right. It's this constant progress of taking something and giving, taking mm-hmm. something and giving, mm-hmm. or receiving something more aptly. Yes. You receive something and give something back. Yes. And. I guess it's a, a respect. Yes. You know? It's a respect to the people who are who are in our fields, mm-hmm. who are also doing creative stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, hopefully we can contribute to them, and they can contribute to us, and you know we can just move on as human beings and start to understand each other better through the art we make. That's exactly it. Sir. I agree. I agree with you. Pretty much said it all there. I guess you know, like going off on on that whole receiving and giving, 
is is just to like open up conversation again and perhaps cultural practice mm. of reciprocity yeah you know like i think the way things are set up at the moment you know things we've mentioned in earlier segments today is that it's uh quite individualistic you know uh egotistical that this reciprocity and the benevolence that comes out of reciprocity is 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 almost non-existent yeah you know it's of course it's there but i'm saying you know not on on a daily basis <laughs> or on a, on a consistent basis like it would have been back in the day yeah which is why you know partly why we're doing this is you know to get you know something out there and hopefully other people will be able to take that on board and come and talk to us mm. contact us and sort of like you know be able to just have that community that's exactly you know? it. and we're in a we're in a global age mm-hmm we're in an age where someone on the other side of the world can hear us and hear our voice yes and uh yeah we'd love to hear from people definitely 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 show. definitely feel free to call in listeners with any questions or any comments or, or challenges even or challenges you know things you do like and don't like about what you've listened to today you know Hit the call in button, call into the station. We definitely ain't got it figured out, that's for certain. That's for certain, you know. So, you know, let's come and be part of the conversation. Come be, come and be part of the whole uh, discovery and exploration of this whole thing we call art. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, is. like I was saying, we set this account up today, this K&A thing being, you know, if you stand out, it's candor. Candor? Uh, candor is another word for conversation, basically, in discourse. Is it? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's an actual word, candor. Yeah, candor. The C-A-N-D. Candor. Yeah, the candor. yeah, but it's candor. We're having candor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's the same thing, man. It's the same thing. So, like, yep. join the discussion, you know, if you can, if you want to, or just listen in. But uh, we'll definitely be back with more of this stuff, more of the, the straight thoughts that we have uh, to engage with you guys and give back. And hopefully, you know, it helps. It helps it. create that fertility. That's it. Fertility. We need to get fertile again. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack, huh? A lot to unpack. Guys, feel free to like, to share, to subscribe in whatever platform. Uh, I believe here on Anchor it's to send out echoes. Um, yeah, look us up, KNA, Kanda. Um, look up uh, Kiefer. Kiefer, you got 30 seconds to do some. Uh, yeah, quick so drops. Uh, look up uh, Lost High Studios on Twitter and Facebook. That's my uh, little studio group that I have that's going to be putting out a lot of stuff hopefully in the next 12 months. Lost Touch. Uh, yeah, and just keep, ch- 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 keep tuning in. Sweet. Have a good one, guys. Peace out.